0: Thanks for listening to the Hedgeye Investing Summit, featuring conversations with some of the sharpest minds in investing, including Ben Hunt, Lynn Alden, and David Rosenberg, hosted by Hedgeye CEO Keith McCullough. To get access to the other eight Hedgeye Investing Summit conversations, and for more great investing content, go to hedgeye.com.
1: Good morning to those of you tuning in from the Americas, and good afternoon or evening to those of you tuning in from elsewhere. Thanks for joining us. I am obviously not Keith McCullough, but this is day three of the Hedgeye Investing Summit, and you will be hearing from Keith shortly and at length, um, perhaps almost certainly at greater length than many of you expected. Um, This is due to a programming change catalyzed by some technical difficulties that are originally scheduled guest, Pippa Malgram, um, has encountered in her worldly travels. Um, We do hope and expect to get Pippa back on for a broadcast conversation with Keith in in due course. In the meantime, uh, I am going to moderate a real real conversation between me and Keith. There he is, Um, and it's gonna be structured, as Keith knows, to achieve two primary aims. First, we want to try to knock down some pins, so to speak, that were left standing from the six prior conversations in this year's summit, or I should say this summit, uh, that unfolded yesterday and the day before. And my second aim, frankly, is to elicit Keith's answers to some questions that I really wanted to put to him for a very long time, including two questions that will come at the end as a bit of a teaser that I posed routinely when I conducted GabFests that are similar to the Hedgehog Summit, uh, on a more or less annual basis during my many happy years as cio of the investment fund for foundations so we have called an audible here i hope you'll bear with us it's going to be fun and keith i'm going to call an audible on an audible you don't even know this but i i happen to tune in i almost never do this but i tuned into bloomberg tv a couple hours ago and i saw jonathan gray president and ceo of blackstone uh, being interviewed by two very skilled interviewers Uh, one of whom you mentioned uh, on the call this morning, Uh, and I'm going to just read you. I'm going to ask Eric to flash. These are literally John's words, and I have to say, Keith, I thought he was absolutely brilliant in displaying something we will talk about at the end of this conversation between you and me, which is grace under pressure. It was really remarkable. I'm going to let the audience, if they can, if it's legible, read these two quotes in their entirety now, or at their leisure later on. I'm going to just read a sentence or two from each. But he started out, he got some pretty tough questions. And the opening question, I thought was quite tough and, and well put. And he said, I would just say we are incredibly proud of the quarter. We protected investor capital. And that performance is ultimately what's going to propel us forward to raise more capital. Skipping ahead. We really think we have the right model. We've got staying power. We can hold assets in a difficult period and firepower, nearly $200 billion to deploy. Then skipping ahead, when he was asked specifically about mark-to-market valuations in private investing, specifically in private realty, in the context of BREIT, Well, I think you see it in the stocks of the public REITs. They've traded off very dramatically. Some of the big public office companies are off 50, 75%. So you've seen in the private market valuations in the limited trades that are happening are down significantly. I think some folks in terms of private funds may not have marked fully to what's been happening. I think you'll see more of that. We tend to be ahead of the curve on those things i got through the entirety of that keith without laughing but i'll ask you to discuss
2: hi i'm keith mccullough and i wanted to introduce you to my favorite product at hedgeye the macro show why is it my favorite product well it's my show i do that every morning if you want to get ready for the market day you want to contextualize all the data you want to make good decisions then this is what you should be watching it's a repeatable process that you can deliberately study measuring and mapping time series to time series of data. So it's not going headline to headline and getting whipped around. It's actually being so much more dispassionate about it and making good decisions that are data-driven. So we'd love to have you on our team. Come join us.
0: Tune in weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern and on demand anytime. Go to hedgeye.com slash
2: research to subscribe. Well, now I know why... Uh... Blackstone is squeezing me because I'm shorted. He's good. It's he's an good. amazing thing. I mean, uh, we were talking about this, Jay Van Sciver and I, this morning on the call, as as I'm sure you you listened in on, and you know, just yeah. talking about the wherewithal of, of Elon Musk and his ability to tell a story, and and I think I think that you know we're in that you know, it's called a Gish Galloper, by the way. I was comparing Trump to Elon, whether, whatever side of this political spectrum you are, whether you love them mm-hmm. or, or hate them, it's not the point. It's that we, we live in an era where, you know, what people say uh, is believed readily by people who um, wouldn't have any experience or any context or any, you know, really um, any, any wherewithal to know otherwise. And I, and I, I think that's a sad thing uh, uh, in particular because people end up getting hurt. Uh, losing a lot of money. Uh, and in the case of B-Reit and Jonathan Gray, I mean, come on, man. I mean, like it's 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 one thing to be, you know, to be misleading. Uh, it's another thing to be arrogant about it. I mean, I, I think that those comments, like we had a great quarter, we're just better than everybody else. <laughs> we didn't have to take our marks. And you know what, to, to our investors that you know, asked to redeem their capital, uh, all this capital that we're talking about that we were able to keep, you know, we told them to, to you know, to go pound sand. I mean, it's, I, I think it's, it's terrible, actually. I, I think it's from a, in terms of the principle of, of, of the comment in both regards, misleading and at the same time, there's no real humility in that at all. I mean, I, I don't get it.
1: All right. So let's move forward. We'll both try to be real humble because I think we're, we're sort of inherently that way. What, what I want to turn to is as is, 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 is the next question that I'm going to put to you is one that's really much on my mind, and I know you because we were both in the office together on on Tuesday, and you saw me sitting in the main conference room with Simone Rob Regrob, our, our read specialist, Rob Simone, great guy, and we were there for you know a really long time just chatting, the two of us, and you walked by several times. You're probably wondering what we were talking about, and and what I was doing was listening, questioning, and maybe I did a little coaching, and we'll come back to that, because you did that remarkable conversation with Gio yesterday. Uh, But what I kept asking, Rob is, essentially, are you bearish enough? you, you know, it's, it's, it's really risky as an investment professional to do something that could potentially cause you to be wrong and alone. But are you bearish enough? So I'm going to put the same question to you. You did, a, you know, again, a remarkable series of conversations in the first two days of this summit where we, you, you were flagging as well as Aisha Tarek did it, Lizanne did it, noting that the pretty big gulf between where they and Hedgeye are on the one hand on sort of expectations for this year in particular and where the street or consensus is. So let me turn it back to you and let you discuss that, that challenge.
2: Yeah, are you bearish enough? I I, I, I think I am. Um, I, 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 in a way, the, you know, being bearish enough, I mean, to a degree, we're, we're talking about, you know, how we position. Now, of course, we're over, you know, the more bearish we are, the more bullish we are on something like gold, uh, becoming quite bullish on things that are, you know, today is just a day. But I do think that the uh, phase transition has begun, where you could be outright bullish on duration or long-term treasury bonds. So I think you know, being bearish, I think, in its proper kind of nomenclature, or how people think about bears is that, you know, look, we're just bearish on the economy. We're bearish on growth. We're bearish on bubbles. Um, in fact, the mother of all bubbles. I don't, I don't really know, David, how many more ways I can express my bearishness on this front. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've really, and I really try every day because it's such a, back to the Jonathan Gray thing, I mean, there is, um, if there's ever been a headwall, of the other side of what I believe, I mean, it's as strong as, as, as it could be. And I've seen a lot of bears actually capitulate to going bullish, I mean, on the economy and on growth. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, at this juncture, I'm at, I'd am i say I'm adequately bearish.
1: Yeah. All right. So, and the pressure to, to, to do that, to sort of um, cave in or capitulate, is enhanced by something that you've referred to repeatedly and I think really aptly as the machine now consistent with my aim here over the next roughly 40 minutes because we've got a tight stop at, at the 45 minute mark as I think you know um, consistent with my aim of sort of helping people learn how to fish and maybe handing them some fish at the same time <laughs> that, that old adage though that old adage I want you to talk about because I think in my travels and conversations with sort of members of Hedgeye Nation, I think many of them get confused. They hear you talk about the machine and they think because Hedgeye is so commendably data-driven that you're referring to our own machine, our own model, our own process, something we'll get back to at the end of the conversation when we talk about what Geo talked about. But that's not what you mean. Nor is it what we hear Ray Dalio talking about so much, because when he refers, which he does repeatedly, and I think also commendably, to the machine, he means the way capitalism as an economic system functions. But that's not what you mean. So tell us again, and particularly for newer members of Hedgeye Nation, what you mean by the machine and why it's so dangerous in producing the kind of capitulation that you alluded to just a minute or two ago.
2: Yeah, and I and I think commendably is the right word for what Dalio produced. Uh, he's got a great visualization of it. It's it's in ca- cartoon form, uh, and it's uh, very well done. They spent a lot of time. Bridgewater did on that. Uh, when, what I'm talking about, uh, and by the way, I agree with the rates of change of the machine, the economic machine, as as he you know refers sure. to it that way. But but when I talk about the machine, I talk about the flow. Like uh, we're talking about the flow of assets, the daily trading of assets, the manipulation of assets, the uh, introduction of YOLO or super short-term options impacting the flow of the machine, and, and on this slide, thanks, guys. This is the, you know, really the manifestation of the machine where you've gone from passive uh, being pretty much a nothing burger when I started in this business, you know, 25 years ago, uh, to uh, and and really, you know, the flow being dominated by hedge fund block trading. Uh, that's when I started to. Now, if you don't front run the machine and how it, it, it not only the machine is very smart in the sense that it, it front runs you know, Ray Dalio's um, uh, definition of the machine, the economic machine, yeah. but the machine itself is constantly being manipulated and perpetuated by the very well understood by sophisticated and large investors um, you know, reality of the situation, which is you can really push things to different limits where people will be forced to make bad decisions and we also call that being the uninformed volume so uh, we have a solution for that which is of course the risk ranges but um, yeah to me that's that's what it is it's the flow
1: yeah um, I want to come back to that because I have my own vision of the of what machine means in our context in our professional lives that's related to the sort of longer term work that that I'm working on at Hedgeye that you're acutely familiar with but before we get there I want to touch on something else this is back in the sort of teaching people how to fish category is this thing from handing them a fish although there's quite a bit of overlap but but you say repeatedly again i think commendably maybe we're overusing that word that it's the particular that matters look we both studied mandel you know carefully and it is the particular that matters but you've also said and, and you've given nice shout outs to your former mentor yale robert schiller that the first thing you learned at Gale that really struck in, got through your, as you call it, your thick skull, was this idea of the regression to the mean. A mean is an average. And so, how do we reconcile this view that it is the particular, not averages, that really matter with the notion that his concept of regression to the mean is actually quite important in investing because they seem to be at odds with each other. There's another question I've ever posed to you, and I certainly didn't give you this question in advance to think about. (laughs) No, (laughs) apologies if I'm putting the boss on the spot.
2: (laughs) I I, I think about it all the time. I mean, it's, um, and the things that you think about, David, you know, it's like the longer you do this, the more things you have time and space to think about. And and most importantly, you have, with experience, you have time to put it in. The context of your cycle, so you know, uh, or in in the context of your process. In this, in in this case, I think the answer is quite simply, it's mean reversion within cycles. I mean, so when you look at, and and that's really what I'm just, uh, you know, now you've actually gone from from one slide to the next. We're talking about like the foundational slides of of the process. Guys, go to the slide after the machine. Um, we am t- I'm, what I'm talking about is the very simple mean reversion of going to the top of the sine curve and then to the bottom of the sine curve within a cycle. The, the probability of that happening is extremely high, uh, and it's consistent. There's a rhythm and rhyme to all these cycles, uh, but the components of the cycle are always different. So, you know, that, like, if you look at, like, when Schiller taught me this, this was like pulling back long-term cycles, super long-term, beyond Neil Howe cycles, and, that's 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 what I'm talking about. You go from the top to the bottom and back again. It's actually I, I name name my book that too.
1: Yeah. So one of the reasons you do that, and Eric, if I could get you to go to slide, I think I'm going to start with slide four in my little deck that I put together on, on short notice for today. Yeah. Thank you. So Keith, bear with me, and I'll take about sixty seconds to go through several slides here. But when I alluded a couple minutes ago to the sort of the machine as I view it, I I, I understand and respect your definition of machine. And equally, I understand and respect how Ray defines the machine. Now I'm referring to sort of a third machine, which is the way really big money, you know, big endowments, big foundations, sovereign wealth funds, DB plans, um, the way they allocate capital. And they tended to do, to do it, as you know well, pursuant to these pie charts or asset allocation schema. So what I've shown on this slide is in the upper upper panel is Sort of the traditional view of how you allocated institutional money when I got into the business years ago, it was sort of sixty, forty, seventy, thirty, and we went from the top A to the bottom B, where you get these pie charts. Where, you know, we like to say that our strategy at Hedgeye is, you know, sort of go anywhere. This strategy, I think, is aptly defined as go everywhere, which means you have to own a little slice of everything. <laughs> so, if you could go to the if you could go to the next slide, Eric. Right. And you could say, well, how did we get from A to B? And, and this is my depiction of it, right? We go back to the original prudent man rule diversification. Then Swenson comes on the scene, pioneering portfolio management. And that, and, and I was a huge fan. I love David. He was just a great human being. And then everything that he did got turbocharged, this massive march, the parade of the elephants into alternatives, aided and abetted by sort of easy money. Next slide, Eric. Oh, yeah. Thanks. So now we come on to this, this is actually a real live asset allocation policy mix from a leading university endowment, a big one. And I want to draw your attention It may be hard for you to see Keith to the bottom row, which is called liquidity. So you have this sort of go everywhere strategy up above when you look really carefully at the allocation to cash, the normal allocation, the current policy allocation and the long term allocation to liquidity is zero. Now, admittedly, as of the 10% max, but what I'm trying to do here is, and I gave our colleague Jeremy McLean a shout out overnight, as you know, on connecting the dots, right? What Geo called differentiated thinking in one of the five tools that he flagged in his talk with you yesterday about how do you achieve enduring success in really any field of human endeavor. Okay, again, we'll come back to it. But what I'm trying to do with you right now, Keith, is get you to help me connect the dots because when I hear, for example, that you know uh, Blackstone has you know 40 billion of dry powder, or there's so much dry powder in private equity or even in venture capital, I ask myself, where precisely is that dry powder? Because this university, I can tell you, I won't name the institution, but they, you can actually see it in their policy mix, they have massive holdings of private investments, mm. and they have virtually no liquidity. So when the capital calls come in (laughs) from the people that think and profess to be able to put a lot of dry powder to work, those other folks have to sell something. And they have to sell it. And you and I talked about it in our very first on-air conversation. They have to commit the cardinal sin of investing, which is to be an involuntary seller. And they have to do that to meet their contractual commitment to provide money when the managers call it. I'll stop there and ask you to discuss the phenomenon, because I think if you try to connect these dots, that's where I think you could get really even more bearish than you currently are.
2: Oh, oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> you take, Especially when you go from, without going through every iteration of it that perpetuated it, the easy money being the most obvious, and it was appropriate that you started with Greenspan and went through... Bernanke, I mean, if you really, you know, take a step back and you go, what's the difference between 60-40 and the everything pie? And what I love about you, David, is every time we talk, I learn something new. Uh, that's great. You know, like we have a go anywhere strategy. They have an everything strategy. Is that, you know, the, the Blackstones of the world were the largest recipient of the everything pie. You know, oh, we have some yeah. of that. We have some of this. They have a, 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 I call it pie chart macro. And we'll charge a fee on every part of the pie, you know? But the, the the real the real problem with that, is, of course, is when you have to compete with cash, and you have to compete with a higher cost of capital and a respect for you know for liquidity. So I, yeah. I I think that that's where you can get beyond bearish on on the number one factor, by the way, that you want to avoid when you're in quad four to begin with, which is not having liquidity. So uh, whether it be a corporate who cannot you know pay, make their coupon payments, be a Be somebody like Black, like Blackstone that can't make their B reit, you know, distributions uh, or otherwise. You really what you're trying to find in a world where where cash flows are revenues are slowing, cash flows are slowing, liquidity is drying up, is you're trying to get long liquidity, right? So, um, I I, that is frightening. I mean, when you really think about how much of that money uh, has to be or should be, or that 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 capital. Uh, needs to be marked to market. Um, and for, for, again, it puts Jonathan Gray's comments, um, I call it different things, but I mean, that that it's beyond um, misrepresenting the risks associated with being
3: invested in that at, the, at this juncture of the cycle. Hi, Robert McGrody here, Director of Subscriber Development at Hedgeye. Hope you're enjoying our podcast. Start generating alpha with our suite of Sector Pro investing research products. Dive deep into retail, industrials, technology, and everything in between with exclusive access to the sharpest analysts and actual ideas on Wall Street. Go to Hedgeye.com forward slash research to subscribe. Enjoy the rest of this episode.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the word cycle because my next question for you, and it's sort of something you've recently introduced, and I was delighted to see it, as you know, because I I gave you a shout out on it publicly. But this concept of cycle to date is distinct from year to date, or month to date, or quarter to date. So we have an opportunity, we're having a semi-unhurried chat here, just explain for me, but more for the broader audience, what exactly you mean by cycle cycle to date? How do you define a cycle? And what do you do, frankly, with an investment professional or investment committee, an allocator, an asset owner who sort of arrives mid-cycle? You know, how do you help them understand that they are actually arriving mid-cycle and that they don't make the mistake of, uh, of using the wrong metric, if you will, to assess evolving performance?
2: I mean that, of course, is is a is a terrible problem, but it doesn't you know you don't get an answer because you have a problem. You know, I, I, I tried to um, explain this through the lens of something people might really understand, like binge watching. You know, just because we're in season five of Yellowstone doesn't mean that you just get to, you know, you know, uh, assume that you know everything that happened in the prior four seasons. That's where you're at. I mean, I I, I can't change that. I can help you understand where we're at now. Cycle to date is economically really easy to identify. It's where are you again on the sine curve of economic growth? Where are you on the sine curve of inflation? Where are you on the economic sine curve of the rate of change of profit growth? Each, all three of those big cycles, the big three that I care about, they have a top, they have a middle, they have a bottom. They have accelerations and decelerations embedded therein. So you know, what, what a lot of people you know, get caught up in when they look at year to date, is their own career risk management or their own covering of their ass, be, or their own performance pressure. I mean, if you're at a hedge fund, I mean, your, your to date performance is like T minus four hours. I mean, uh, or T minus a week at best. I mean, there these, these performance pressures are real, but they should not be confused with cycle to date or where we are in the cycle itself. You know, there is a defined date that you know, that the quad two economic growth period peaked, which is in the fourth quarter of 2021. That's an empirical fact. That's not an opinion. You know, So when you go back and you go, oh, look at the, the asset class that people called an asset class. I don't think it really deserves that respect yet. It needs more time and space of cryptocurrencies. I mean, that, that peaked on the same day that the Russell 2000 or smaller cap stocks peaked on November the 8th in, in the fourth quarter of 2021. Uh, well, where did gold peak? Uh, where did gold trough? Where, you know, like these things are all measurable within the cycle. And and I I do think it's a disservice to the macro unaware, people that get pablum or spoon-fed CNBC bullshit all day long about year-to-date returns, because it's easy, right? Like even the lowest quotient of financial analysis, which is a CNBC journalist, can pull up what the year-to-date return is or what the multiple of something is. I mean, that's the talking about the average of things or the multiples of things or the returns of things. That's just like looking something up, understanding something. And back to your point on Mandelbrot, that it's the particular thing that happens at a particular point in the cycle. Well, that's the most critical point. So you really need to know, uh, you know when we're going towards the low end of the pool or the deep end of the recession, because that's when all the bad stuff starts happening, which in this case, it just did
1: yeah, you're making this really easy for me because you just mentioned a journalist pulling up data. And my next question for you was going to go back to a comment you made in passing the other day, which I really found intriguing, because you said, I keep am using chat GPT to pull up. Well, fill in the blank, I'm really curious <laughs> to know. Uh, and, and let me just say, and this will be kind of a test of your grace under pressure too, because you actually said and I think it was a conversation with Liz Ann, but it may have been Lynn Alden that you know, last year was the worst year for the S&P since 1937, which is just flat wrong, right? So I, I heard it, and I typed in chat GPT, right? It's the third worst year since 1937. 2008 yeah. was, was worse, and, and 1974 was worse, particularly when you add an 11% inflation in 1974. So you were talking a drawdown of almost 40% in each of those years versus a much more muted drawdown last year. But I started using it a lot, more is just a kind of a glorified search engine, but I was really interested when you mentioned it. How are you currently using it?
2: Well, it saves me time I mean I don't yeah. have to uh so for example i still I'm still a creature of my own habits, and i'm if you know I've got plenty of faults, one is that I'm stubborn uh, when it comes to that i I will not get off my rocking horse in the morning in terms of my routine, the deliberate nature yeah. of it so th- this morning, so for example, I'm writing about Apple and I'm trying to contextualize. You know what Apple is not only as a percentage of the S&P 500, the all-time high as a constituent, 7.1%. But I wanted to go back and figure out what was the day that Apple peaked. So, and you know, I could have easily just punched that into ChatGPT, like I did when I was writing my early look yesterday on oil, because I was saying Exxon when it was the peak constituent. That's when the oil price was. When I popped it in ChatGPT, 147. I believe, uh, a barrel in July of 2008. Um, but the chat GPT gave me that number. I, I should have done that this morning with Apple. Instead, I probably took four to six minutes and actually you know, you know, scrolling over the price and making sure I had the right date, then thinking about it. And it was January the 4th at $179, if I rec- recall correctly. So what, what, that is just going to give people like me who have to deal in the space of empirical truths and, and historical realities as opposed to narratives or whatever, um, that's, just gonna, that's only going to make us better. Right? I mean, It's just going to make us faster. And when you have to play against good players to begin with, that's one problem. When you have to pay, play against them and they have better information faster, uh, it's just like watching an NHL playoff game. As soon as something happens, they don't look at each other. They look at the iPad. You, know, the, you see the whole bench looks at the iPad now that that would that, that's that's perfect now you can see precisely what happened you you have full information and you can go on to your next play which is really the most important point
1: so next question is going to ask you to do something i know you're somewhat uncomfortable doing again commendably so which is just exercise intuition and judgment as opposed to thinking about data and the question is it's also building on what we just talked about with chat gpt but as you've used the technology can you imagine in the in the medium and longer term Circumstances under which technologies like that make the allocation of capital a lot more efficient, and as a corollary, make it harder to bring alpha out of the public securities markets.
2: Oh, uh, provided that it is the actual truth. Now, this is the risk, of course, is that you know <laughs> yeah. every everyone wants the truth and, and has wanted the truth. If only they want it to be their truth. So let's just. You know call the current manifestation of social media just that. you know you need to believe this, therefore you believe this, so you're going to go to that source that can give you supporting data points. I think I mean when you think about it and you know considering the institutions academically that you and I went to, um, some of the most brilliant and I mean highest IQ point on paper brilliant people that I know and that you know, they are some of the most impressive politicians and or media experts supporting those politicians that you're ever going to find cuz it takes a big brain to be able to say one thing and know that the truth is on the other side and just know how to knock down the truth data points really quickly that's that yeah. is that's an amazing skill like I, I, I people should be you know trumpeted for that you know pardon the pun but <laughs> but, but if if we talk about it within the lens of like what I just said, those two things. Like what was the day that Apple peaked? You know, what was the worst return? I mean, total return last year, if you include bonds, was probably the worst since 1937, but we can check that up, right? We don't have to debate that. It can be immediately <clears throat> audited. And for for Wall Street, I think in particular, because the old wall is one of the few places, David, as you well know, all the way and, and in all of its manifestations, it includes the buy side, obviously, as well, all these investment committees. Um, they have gotten away with not evolving where we as a society champion like something like AI instantaneously. Whereas you can't, in, in asset management, you're willing to believe any poppycock, any, any bullshit, anything to support whatever position you've already taken. Whereas you can quickly look up something like, uh, chat GPT, when you enter a recession, do you buy tech? The answer is unequivocally no. Well, but but b- bond yields are going down, and then we're done. the re- No, just stop it. No, the, the answer is no. <laughs> it, it, but you have a lot of people that allocate capital to tech with currently falling bond yields, thinking that the recession, and then the recession. Well, what is the recession? I mean, you know, ChatGPT. Who's who's more accurate on their GDP now nowcasts, the Atlanta Fed or Hedgeye? Well, there's an answer to that. It's Hedgeye. So why do you believe the Atlanta Fed? Well, because I like that one. That's a that's a that's a soft landing. <laughs> I think that. I think that the the opportunity here is manifest, uh, both externally and internally. Internally, I want to use that against or in in conversations with my analysts all the time, like you just did with me. I mean, we want to know what the, the the right answer is, not one that is convenient.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna again. I'm trying to connect dots here that others might not seek to connect, or they might think it illogical to connect. But again, we're going to go from Chat GPT to as we. Into the, the last third of this conversation to some really, I thought, really insightful comments that Gio made in particular in your conversation with him yesterday. Um, so, it, by way of review, as, as most people know probably that are watching this because they watched that, that interview, if not, they should maybe stop this one if they're watching it on replay and go and <laughs> watch that one and come back to it because it's really good. But, but what Gio argued, uh, maybe even observed, is a bit of verb is that there are really only five ways to achieve sort of enduring lasting success in any field of human endeavor, right, superior talent, the superior work ethic, the superior process, um, sort of superior hiring delegation, right, finding the right people to be your team members, and then finally differentiated thinking. And I've thought a lot about it since I heard him, I mean, I had encountered this, these concepts previously to your conversation with him yesterday, but I thought a lot about it overnight. And I was going to try to pose the paradoxical question to you, Keith, because what he didn't add as a sixth element is like experience, right? The wisdom and the judgment and come from experience. And I could sort of immodestly say, look, I'm older than most people at Hedgehog. I am certainly older than you. And look at me, aren't I wise? And I have all this experience. <laughs> but I want to actually flip it on its head and say, can't experience, particularly in a market environment like this, become a, more of a handicap than a benefit, in the following precise sense, that because we all like want to recognize patterns, we try to fit these newly arriving data, and I talked about this in, in, in an earlier version of our, our MOAB series, right? We tried it in the first part of it, the one that we did with Josh and, and, and you, um, that, that we try to fit newly arriving pieces of the puzzle into a pre-existing pattern, and that's where experience can actually become a handicap. So I want to ask you to reflect on what I've just talked about through the prism of where we are today, because of course, some of the things we're seeing look very similar to 2008 or to 2001. But again, we get back to Mandelbrot in the particular. Discuss.
3: Hi, Robert McGroity here, Director of Subscriber Development at Hedgeye. Join our entire research analyst team live before the market opens for a deep dive investing analysis our favorite stock ideas, and our risk manager-in-chief, Keith McCullough's macro overlay. Our team of 40-plus equity analysts discuss key market developments, trends, and our high-conviction, long and short investing ideas. You will not get this granular level of insight anywhere else. A video replay, audio version, and analyst summary notes from the call are available shortly after each live show to ensure you don't miss anything. Go to hedgeeye.com forward slash research to subscribe and tune in live to The Call weekdays at 7.45 a.m. Eastern. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Well, this
2: is where, for me, the answer is, uh, is the signal. Like, when I, when I look at the you know, not only the fractal construction of my signals, but the fractal nature of everything that's going on, you know, embedded in that assumption that the world in, is fractal by nature is that there's a dynamism to it, that, that there can be regime shifts, that there can be whatever, you know, whatever you can not think of the signal is trying to get you there. That's the point, okay? So for me, that's where the, it's there. Yeah, okay, I got experience in cycles. I got experience calling, you know, recessions and bear markets. Uh, but why this one did I not start buying utilities until the last, you know, in the last couple of weeks? You know, yeah. and in and any other one that I've risk managed, you would have bought utilities and lost money the whole way down up until starting to make money in them now. So, uh, and the signal saved me from the bias of the back test, you know the bias of the back test, one could call the greatest experience because that's just what happened um, now, whether you did it, you know you executed against it well or not i mean that's 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 everybody's own endeavor and experience <laughs> but um but I really i i I get called a lot of things I don't think I get called uh, humble um, unless I'm having a conversation with you know people that I love and respect, and I'm not trying to present something on i t v but but yeah. I, I I think it requires the deepest of humility to obey the signal, to assume that I don't know anything and the market is trying to guide me to what I'm going to know. Like That is the most important thing um, that I wake up thinking about in the morning when I'm writing things down. Where is this leading me? And it will not be like the other cycle. Uh, like I said, there's a rhythm and rhyme to cycles. There's mean reversions from tops to bottoms and back again. But the components, I mean, that, that's the, the market is constantly giving you hints and, 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 and head fakes and everything else.
1: So if somebody said to me, it's not happening right now, but if somebody would whisper in my ear and say, hey, David, can you think of an example, like really recent of what Keith just talked about, what would it be? I would point back just three hours earlier today to your discussion of what's going on with the dollar. Why don't you just use that as an example for just a minute or two to talk about, uh, to, to illustrate what you just said about trying to listen to the signal. We don't know what signal it's going to ultimately give us, but help the audience understand what you're seeing in real time right now with the dollar.
2: Yeah, so if you guys go to slide eight, which shows the backtested realities, and these things are listed in rank order of you know, strength uh, of return, quarterly return by asset class and sector style, for example. If you go back to slide seven, just to flash it to people so that they know we've done the work, uh, that's going to burn your eyes out. But again, go back to slide eight, and you can see fixed income gold in the U.S. dollar in that order or where you want to be in, in quad four. Now, we've been, yeah. um, we've been long uh, the dollar for 16 months. Uh, it's, it's the third-ranked strength. Um, I'm still long it, but I have a minimum position. And what I've, what I've tried to articulate this morning is the dollar may very well be just signaling lower highs and a much you know, less of a return profile, i.e. less upside in the risk range, and certainly not back to prior cycle highs because we're entering a particular point in cycle time of risk, sovereign debt risk that is associated with the debt ceiling. And the last time we had the debt ceiling, uh, the dollar weakened materially. Uh, that's back in 2011. Al- although Bernanke was committed to burning it to a 40-year low, let's, let's be clear. Uh, whereas now we have Powell, thank God, which is a different... I- actually, I-, I don't think I've ever thanked God. And I- I'll take that back. I will not thank God for a central planner, central market planner. <laughs> but but, <laughs> but, but, but it's, it's something that, you know, the signal's picking up. There's, there's something here in the dollar that means keep the position yeah. small, and in in six weeks or less, that chicken comes home to roost, of course, which is the debt ceiling catalyst itself.
1: Good. We've got nine minutes to go. I've got three more questions, so we'll divide it roughly three minutes each. Of course, it'll take me a few seconds to pose each question. The first two are going to be the ones I alluded to earlier that I used to routinely do when I did something like this uh, for TIF for many years. So the first one, which I and I want to tell the audience, I gave these two questions only these two questions to Keith in advance because I found. Your experience—it's helpful for people to think about them. The first one I call my Mount Everest question, uh, which came to me when that awful tragedy that Krakauer wrote about—an in intifada—and I know you're very familiar with it—unfolded on Mount Everest. And I and I reflected on the fact that uh, of the non-Sherpas who died um none of them would, be, would would have been on that mountain if the if the universe had a law saying once you get back to new york or austin or san francisco or civilization generally you can never talk about the fact that you climb mount everest none of them would have gone to mount everest <laughs> so it leads to a question what is the single feat feat, the accomplishment that you would be keenest to accomplish subject to the condition that no one would ever know that you'd achieved it
2: my immediate response cuz you're right it takes a little while uh, i actually went and had a shower and thought about it <laughs> uh, but at the, 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 the cuz that's where i can think cuz i can't hear anyone else um my my quick response was well i i put the puck in the back of the net for the Toronto maple leafs you know at the end of a game 7 so that they could <laughs> actually advance past uh, the first round for the first time in 04 since 04 um but in all seriousness i i thought about this a lot and um you know what i would do i would Reduce the financial burden uh, to certainly low income and and maybe even middle income, like in terms of how I grew up, families on their ability to support um, in their family uh, a child with a disability. Mm -hmm. That that to me, having lived through it, is an extremely important thing to have the financial resources to be able to do, and. i would love for the world to just have that for the kids in particular to have those resources
1: yeah that's a great answer it's actually a very good segue to the second question um in the following sense the second question i call my grace under pressure question but you've seen so many times families with with children with disabilities display incredible grace under pressure because you know better than anyone in the world because you've experienced it directly just how much uh, stress there is associated with that. So the grace under pressure question is, what is the greatest display of grace under pressure you've ever witnessed in real time, either in person or, you know, on TV, but replays don't count?
2: (laughs) Well, this one, again, after you think about it for a little while, um, I'd have to go with my dad on that, um, where... An unbelievable, and I didn't get this, David, until I got uh, until I got to be a teenager. I, I would say because that's when I recall it. And we'd move to this uh, house on Oakdale Crescent, and, and I can see it like it was yesterday. His, uh, my dad's gear. My dad was a firefighter, um, yep. and when he would come, and then I'd start to realize, well, that's what happens when something bad happens, like when we're sleeping, when me, mom, and Ryan and Cheryl are sleeping, you know, like it's a really bad fire. That year is being aired out with the garage door open. And he, that's one thing. It's, it's something happened. And the grace t- to me is in him never showing whatever happened. Mm-hmm. Like showing that even as much as an inch of emotion or wanting of any type of support. I, I, am still in awe. So it's, it happened multiple times, of course, uh, and unfortunately, but, um, yeah, to me, that's, I I can, I'll never be able to get that out of me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Understandably. So final question, I'm going to (laughs) kind of pull the goalie or I'm the goalie, right. And just let you run out the clock and you can shoot it into the empty net if you want. But we've got about three minutes left before we have to sign off. The the question goes right back directly to what Coach Gio was talking about yesterday. I already talked about the sort of the five tools that you can have in your toolkit. And again, reflecting very carefully on it, you know, talent, work ethic, process, differentiated thinking, savvy hiring, those are the five tools. And I thought, you know, I don't know actually anyone who's achieved enduring lasting, you know, significant kind of world class success in any field of human endeavor who didn't actually have all five. If you define the the hiring broadly to include like hiring a coach, right? And I would put that question to you. Do you know of anybody who hasn't actually employed all five of those tools? And then I have a follow up question, so I'll let you answer that that relates directly to, to hockey, which is something you know a lot about and I almost know almost nothing about. It's a process related question. But first let me you address let, yeah. let you address the yeah. the question of tools. Yeah.
2: on Like, when it comes, I'm not going to get into things that I haven't done, but, I mean, when it comes to things that I'm intimate about and and have experience, they they all require a team. I mean, so, and they all require these five dynamics. So, absolutely not. I don't know anyone in the realm of hockey and or uh, investing that that has been able to do that, you know, solo shot on their own. No.
1: Yeah. So, the fun question that I'll close with is... (laughs) again, just we're in an F- NHL playoff season. But <laughs> when we talk about process, one of the five tools, and you know, the, there's no organization I, uh, I know of in the world that eclipses hedge eye and its emphasis on the importance of process, right. But I look at NHL games on the TV. And I think once leaving aside practice and drafts and conditioning and everything that goes on surrounding game time, but once the players get on the ice, I don't see a lot of process <laughs> in the 60 minutes that unfold from the, from the opening of each period to, the, to its close. What am I missing?
2: Well, I mean, uh, you prepare your process is your preparation, both your mental you know, and your strategic pre- preparation, your physical pre- preparation, of course, as well. So you have to read and react. And your every every reaction to somebody else's action is based on your process. I mean, you, the preparations that you made getting into that. I mean, if you could you could see an entire lack of process. <laughs> Obviously, if you and that's maybe an interesting. I mean, that's that's an interesting handoff. I mean, to today's analog that we're trying to help people see not a hockey game but see a full investing cycle game, like. They have so many things that they think that they should be looking at because they've been watching CNBC and you know I know why you're watching Bloomberg you just wanted to watch what Jonathan Gray was going to spew today that's but, right. but, exactly. um, but 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 that's really the challenge is to see all the unique um, things that a professional does when playing anything including. The full investing cycle game at the highest level that that's 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 our goal we it's it's tough <laughs> it's tough to get just like anyone else ask ask um ask somebody go go ask Wayne Gretzky to teach you how he shoot, like how he how he shot a certain puck at a certain time in a certain at a particular point in time in the game and 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 it's gonna be tough
1: uh, yeah well we got to break it off here this has been fun I think you've done a good job on this I'm gonna invite you back to do this again <laughs> And uh, I know you've got like 10 minutes to go and I'm gonna be standing by for real time alerts between now and you've got two more sessions to finish up the summit today. And I know they'll both be good ones. So thanks, Keith, for the conversation. Appreciate it. And thank you all for joining us. And we'll see you next time.
0: Don't forget to check out Hedgeye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research analysts. And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at Hedgeye. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax accounting, or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. hedge is now responsible for errors and accuracies or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at hedgeye.com Terms of Service.